Okay, here we go. I'm just happy. I have a smile on my face because I'm happy to be here. I know you are, as, a, as am I, and as I'm sure Luke is as well. He, he, he's thinking, though, God, this just keeps going on and on, doesn't it? I just get, I get rid. Luke's just thinking, this is just more editing. This is like more things, and I have to get this done by Friday because that's when we need it out. So shut up, quit talking, and just do. Welcome, everybody. and welcome to the kitchen table I am sitting here with the talent Josh winner I am Justin white and we are your amateur podcasters today and we're talking about cancer awareness in today's podcast so a very sobering uh, topic but very very interesting as well um, we'll be talking to uh, lieutenant Chris Weaver and former now re-driver, now retired driver engineer, Aaron Johnson, uh, otherwise known to everybody affectionately as Turtle. Turtle. Yep. So, so um, you had some things you wanted to discuss this morning. I do. Before we get into um, the Cancer Awareness Podcast, um, you just came back from a, a work trip. I did. And, you know, the interesting thing about it was, one, the place that it was at, but which was Las Vegas, which when everybody thinks of Las Vegas, they're like, oh, great, you're going on yeah. like a work party trip. Uh-huh. But it sounds like the reality of what you did was spend a lot of time inside of a hotel room trying to map out or plan out more of the um, IFF classes that you've been working on. Yeah, so that is correct. It was in Las Vegas, uh, not one of my favorite places in the world. Because it's 148 degrees out. It's 148 degrees there's a lot of people, and I don't really gamble. Yeah. Um, but I did notice that the gambling is getting uh, at a much smaller scale now than it was before. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. so of COVID? I think, or? No, I think it's because you can pretty much gamble anywhere now. So that's not what draws people to Las Vegas. Um, so I think it's um, the ability to party and just kind of let go a little bit. You know, you see a lot of people dressed up in things I'm sure they wouldn't want their mother to see them wearing. <laughs> um, or w- they would wear any any other place in America or any other time in their life. But you they go and they can enjoy themselves and kind of let their hair down a little bit and relax. Um, but shopping, like every hotel is a shopping mall. Right. And it, you have to get through the shopping mall to get to the casinos now. Um, and nothing's cheap. Nothing like back in the day the you could all get, you can eat buffet yeah, you could get like a buffet for like 4.99 yeah you know and all you can eat and uh the cocktail waitresses would bring you free alcohol while you were gambling and anything to keep you in the gambling chairs right spending that money and you can't do that anymore they don't give you the free alcohol the food is outrageously expensive the you know you're paying ten dollars for beers and twenty dollars for a shot and it's just it's just outrageously expensive and there's just so many people there. They still go there for what, just for the experience of Las Vegas, I think. 
but just gambling didn't seem like it's the number one business there anymore. Yeah, I've never been a big gambler, so Vegas has never been, you know, a go-to place for me. I passed through there a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the first time I went through there was kind of the tail end of those all-you-can-eat cheap buffets because I kept hearing like, hey, $1.99, all-you-can-eat, you know, lobster yeah. buffet. And, and I got there. And, and, and at the time, it was probably like 10 bucks, you know. But I'm like, this yeah. isn't $1.99. Yeah. And, and I just don't gamble. But I do like people watching. I don't like being in crowds, but I like people watching. So it, to me, Vegas, the idea of Vegas sounds fun, but it's not really something that I want to put my money or my, sure. my time into. So a couple things about Las Vegas. Um, I'm not a big gambler either um, because I, I think I compare gambling with the work it takes to earn the money that I'm losing because <laughs> I never win. <laughs> And so I think, oh, that, oh, I put $50 on roulette or craps or whatever, blackjack. And I'm like, oh, it took me an hour to earn that and about a minute to lose it, you know. And so I don't, I, I can't get over that mental block of just, you know, letting go. Like if I could do a poker tournament, you know, cost a hundred bucks to get in a poker tournament, you could play for a couple hours, you know. And so yeah. that's, to me, that's kind of entertainment value, but just to go drop a bunch of money. That- cost me $50 a second to play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It just, I can't get over that. Yeah. But the people watching part, you know, we went to Las Vegas last year for uh, my son's hockey tournament. And so it was myself, my son's coach, the head coach, uh, my son and his son, and then my wife and my daughter and were walking from New York, New York, down to the Bellagio to watch the big water show. I mean, it's kind of like one of the things you got to go do while you're there is go watch the water show. It's pretty cool. So we're walking down the street and I see the big feathers coming towards us. And if anybody's <laughs> been to Las Vegas, you know what the big feathers are. The, the showgirls are coming down the street. They, they're there. So you take pictures with them and, you know, give them money and all that stuff. And um, so I'm I'm thinking, I know, I know what this is, and I'm thinking one of two things is going to happen here. So the wife is either going to circle around and make a scene and put her hands over her son's eyes, who was 11 at the time, and, um, yeah, or she's going to let it ride. And I've got the perfect view of either one. <laughs> and I'm going to let this play yeah, out. Yeah, i, I, I got to let it play out because this is going to be entertaining for me no matter what. So here come the girls. The girls, you know, big show girls, feathers and the pasties on, so fairly exposed. She lets it ride. She just acts like it doesn't happen. And the boys just follow these girls as they pass by. And it was the funniest things, (laughs) one of the funniest things that I've ever seen. Um, Two 11-year-old boys staring at beautiful women as they're walking down the street in Las Vegas and they'll probably remember that for the rest of their lives and yeah. it was just it was a really funny experience and and one that I, I share when I talk, I talk about Vegas but anyway to get back to the subject yeah yeah because actually so and and one of the big reasons why that I wanted to bring up your Vegas trip is because if you look at our current vision statement that says you know we strive to be in an internationally recognized as industry leaders you're part of that process right now because you're getting out with the IAFF. And I would just like to hear you talk a little bit about what that process is and what you're doing with the IAFF. Sure. So 
five, no, it was longer than that, probably seven years ago. How long was Waldo? Waldo was uh, 2012. So 2013, I was asked by the IAFF uh, to go to Denver, uh, speak at their, uh, their symposium on safety um, called the Redmond Symposium. Uh, about Waldo Canyon and the effects that fuel mitigation had on the Waldo Canyon fire. And I said, well, I'm not really the person to do that. I'm an ops guy. You need to go talk to Chris Randall uh, at the time. And they said, well, we can't because she's, she's not a union member, so we can't have her speak. So we need you to do this. I said, okay. So um, I spoke on the relationship of fuel mitigation and, and uh, prepping a structure for structure defense, which is they're essentially the same thing, except with fuel mitigation, you have the luxury of time, right? Where with structure prep, it's usually right before the fire comes. So y your period to actually get that work done is, is a lot narrower. Um, so fuel mitigation in and of itself is, is more effective because you have that luxury of time. So working with a couple people there uh, from Cal Fire, um, fast forward a couple years, um, one of those guys got hired by the IAFF um, to work on wildland curriculum. Um, many of the memberships in uh, the IAFF ha have realized that they don't have a whole lot of training on wildland and the IAFF recognized that as a gap in their, their training and so uh, wanted to develop a wildland tactics class for structural firefighters. So it's not, it's not us turning structure firefighters into wildland firefighters. It's simply giving them the tasks that they're going to use or the tactics they're going to use in the urban interface um, to work safely and efficiently. So how does that relate to Colorado Springs? Well, all those online modules that you take every three, four months here on Target Solutions. Those are part of what I created uh, with the IAFF. I worked with uh, a vendor or a contractor who came in who knew how to do that, and I was the SME, and I would say, hey, do this, do that. We use our green book, um, which is actually a CAL FIRE tactics manual. Uh, that green book was the basis for that class, and um, we're lucky enough to have it here. And, um, it's interesting to watch because I think some of the tactics, if you look at uh, the Bear Creek fire um, from the ring camera, I don't know if you've seen that video, but there's, there's a video of the ring uh, from a ring camera or a camera on the back of a house. The fire's coming up to the house and you can see the crews come by and they essentially perform a bump and run. You know, and so they may not have known what that tactic was called, but we've practiced it enough over the years and, you know, through the IF learning and things like that, um, they did a bump and run and they did an outstanding job and it obviously went very well and, and all the structures were defended and didn't lose any. So I helped develop the online class that I helped develop uh, the classroom and the hands-on portion. We completed that a couple years ago and that's when we started tackling the train the trainer. And so what this uh, meeting was, uh, was getting uh, myself and two other developers together and going through and essentially proofreading the lesson plans for the train the trainer class. So very dry, very tedious work. Um, 
we get a hotel room with a that's got like a one bedroom but it's got a table in it and we just sit around and we just go page by page word by word and proofread um, these lesson plans and go over every slide and every slide every page has a change on it that we need to fix something that i screwed up a typo i made or this picture doesn't look good or um, but this this class is going out all over the United States. Um, in fact, we're delivering it to Austin Fire Department at the end of July. And um, they're hoping to get all 1,500 of their firefighters through it. Uh, we've been to Washington, Montana, Arizona. Uh, we did a beta test for it here. So some of the folks here were gracious enough to participate in the hands-on beta test that we had here. And the good part for me is not that my name's on it, but Colorado Springs and Local 5, uh, when you look at the acknowledgments in all the material, Colorado Springs and Local 5 are included in that. And so it, it's nice to be a part of that process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two things, well, actually three things. So one, the hotel part of that sounds horrible. Um, but the good thing about it is when it's 189 degrees outside in Las Vegas, at least you have some AC. Yes. Um, but aside from that, a couple things that I thought of is while you're telling this story is you have on our department, we've always had kind of people that are um, thought of for certain things. I look back at Chief Channel yeah. and he was always kind of that wildland guru. And I think that as he was transitioning out and you were coming up through the ranks, you kind of stepped into that spot, you know, and and I think a lot of that was maybe not by choice, but more by passion of, you know, having the passion to do something. And so you became that person on our job. So it's really cool to be like on this job and seeing the things that our people do that are going nationwide. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing that I thought about is you mentioned how you got into this and that all started from a conversation and a relationship that you built and i think that it's important for us as an organization to realize that these little contacts that we have and these things that we get the opportunity to do you never know how it's going to you know play out later on down the road or what it's going to do for us as an organization so sure. those relationships are really important sure and i i learned a lot uh, from chief channel um, he's kind of he was kind of like you said, he was the wildland guy. He was the expert, the SME for our department for, for many, many years. And um, the reason I got to go to that sym symposium is because he turned down. He couldn't he couldn't make it. So actually, he turned it down. Dave Vitwar turned it down. And so I was like the best, worst option <laughs> hey, to do that. Um, hey, we're down to our last option. Yeah, Would you exactly. Mind? Yeah, there's nobody else that will <laughs> do this. Would you please go? Um, so that's that's kind of the story associated with that. I'd I'd rather be known more as a driver engineer <laughs> you than a wildland guy, but it is very hard to accomplish that with nine months of driving experience. Eleven. Agree to disagree. Eleven months. <laughs> I you know what I'm pulling your file. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> but you know what? I, actually, I did want, I want to bring that up not only because I think it's important for us as an organization to talk about the great things that we're doing, you know, not just here, but across the nation, but also that's something that you're doing with the IFF, which ties into the IF ties into what we're talking about today. Two different things, but, you know, Weaver came to us from the IAFF yep. side. Yep. And he did. And he, he stopped by the office one day and just said, Hey, I got a great idea for the podcast. And 
again, we're looking for great ideas for the podcast. So please bring them to us. This shameless plug for the podcast there. But said, yeah, I'd like to do something on cancer awareness. And I said, great idea. Let's let's figure out how to do this. And uh, safety stand down week was coming up. So we, we kind of rushed it, put it in the schedule. Uh, but I think it turned out pretty well. We got um, Aaron to come in. Um, and he he battled cancer. He's a cancer survivor, um, and is a great human. And that's part of what makes it good because you can you know you see such a good person um, have these struggles. It doesn't. It happens to anybody and everybody. Uh, somebody somewhere uh, for everyone is touched by cancer, yeah. whether it's a relative or whether it's you personally. Um, it's just everybody's touched by it and it's there are things that we can do to prevent it and make our uh, odds better that we don't get cancer and we should take every step that we can to, to do that so yeah turtle he is you said a good human he is an awesome human um turtle and i came on the job together and he is probably one of the most laid-back people that i've ever known and that's just him when it comes to um you know his demeanor i mean even the way when he was a driver for for us um you know when he drove to calls he was just very laid back very calm um we'd pull up to things and you know just the way that he would you know present himself as a driver was just it's like yep that's turtle i mm-hmm. thought it was great because i finally had the opportunity and i don't know why i never asked him this before but like where did turtle come from you know where did the nickname come yeah. from and i always thought that i knew but i just never asked him so yeah. it was it was kind of cool to to hear that and then after he explained it i'm like yep i see it and now every time i hear his name I picture, or I think of the movie Finding Nemo, even though, yeah, even though that that's a sea turtle and turtle doesn't talk like a, you know, like a surfer, but I'm like, <laughs> I see it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. With that being said, without further ado, let's go to our interview with Lieutenant Chris Weaver and retired driver, driver engineer, Aaron Johnson, our beloved turtle. All right, so today we have Chris Weaver. He came in from the local, and we have Aaron Johnson, retired driver engineer, uh, off our job. And Chris approached me, I don't know, what, about a month ago? Yeah. Say, hey, I got a perfect topic uh, for the podcast. And you wanted to come and talk about cancer awareness. And from what I understand, uh, cancer is as prevalent, if not more prevalent now, throughout the fire service. Um, I know a lot of the folks... Um, we put on the wall from Canada or cancer uh, victims. Um, so now more than ever, a lot of deaths associated with the fire service are, are from cancer. And so you wanted to come and make our members and uh, more aware about cancer and what what causes it, how we get it, what we can do about it. Correct? Correct. Yeah, um, uh, firefighter occupation. Occupational cancer is the leading cause of line of duty deaths in the fire service. In 2019, 75% of the names we put on the wall here in Colorado Springs were cancer-related deaths. Um, so, and that's a, that's international, right? Yeah. So that's not just the United States. So that's that's fire service wide. Yeah, U.S. and well, Canada. U.S. and Canada. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike would know 
how many firefighters did we put on the wall in 2019? Two hundred and fifty-two. So seventy-five percent of those were cancer-related deaths. Um, and between U.S. and Canada, there's a bunch of different laws of what qualifies as a cancer-related death. And it's hard to imagine. Obviously, the numbers of firefighters that are getting cancer are even greater than that. Uh, they just weren't able to tie them to the line. So it's a pretty prevalent problem in the fire service, and that's why. There's so many, like, th the reason why I feel like we need to get together is people don't know what to do when they get diagnosed. They get that phone call. I, uh, my wife got, was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago, and we didn't know what to do. And it's more prevalent in the fire service, so I really think it's important to try to get some education out to our brothers and sisters of what to do next after they get that diagnosis. I couldn't imagine being the person that got that diagnosis, I, my having my spouse get, get that diagnosis was bad enough, you know, sure. trying to figure out what you're gonna do for your next step in life, you know. Um, uh, so I'm gonna kind of run with it a little bit just to kind of go through some basics, some review for everybody of what cancer is and some basic terminology stuff, just so we're all on the same page. And obviously, Turtle or anybody, if you guys want to inter interject as we're going through some of this basic definition stuff, please feel free. Uh, cancer, it basically just causes the cells to divide uncontrollably. This can result in tumors that damage the immune system and other important and other impairment that can be fatal. So either in your whole body or a system in your body, this process just starts to happen and when it can't be controlled, that's when it's considered malignant. Um, uh, there's a bunch of different treatments that we can go through, right? Chemotherapy, radiation, medications. Um, I'm not sure. Immunotherapy also now. What is that? <laughs> well, like chemotherapy, you get chemicals that kill cells in general. And what they're trying to do is target the cancerous cell, which is the malignant cell or the cell that's abnormal going out of control. Um, depending on the type of cancers you have uh, is depending on the cells and then how it spreads. So a uh, immunotherapy is like the targeted therapy. They're using a lot for skin cancers and now they're trying to formulate it over to other types of cancers where they take your immune system cells, T and B cells, and they train them or teach them chemically what to attack and then they reinsert them back in your body so it's kind of like what vitwar went through in florida i think yep and we're going to talk about vitwar a little bit later in the podcast um what happens why firefighters are at an increased risk is as homes and buildings contain synthetic and plastic materials they contain these things called phs or polycyclic or aromatic hydrocarbons. And as things heat up and these gases start to release, these agents, also called carcinogens, start to be released into the air. And they start to be absorbed through your skin, right? We used to always take care of our respiratory side really, really well. And just look in the last five years, what we started to do with our PPE as 
the absorption, right? We're trying to close those cuffs off. You know, we're getting a lot of soot and stuff around your ankles and your feet that are coming up through your through your between your boots and your bunker bottoms. You know, and we've we've gone to different styles of gauntlets around our gloves. We've switched our hoods to uh, a vapor barrier in there as well, right? Trying to reduce that absorption. So even in the last just couple years, throughout the nation, we've had to make changes, right? Because none of our stuff, even in with even the guys within higher on within the last five years, haven't had that that same level of protection until now, right? So all these people that have been hiring on between now in 2000 or 2000 and 2018 or 1990 and 2018 when we started to change those hoods out have all had increased exposures with that have we seen any numbers yet to see if there's been a shift in like a decrease in in cancer rates or anything like that or are we not unfortunately uh our rates are still rising right uh and there's some our there's some the ambiguity part of it is, is obviously we're still getting a lot of firefighters that get cancer more and more, but we're also getting more firefighters in the nation as our departments and stuff get bigger. So we haven't really, I don't know of any studies that have like dealt with like percentage wise, uh, you like know, a per cap study yeah. or something like that. One thing I wanted to ask you and just something we might need to clarify, isn't the hoods, aren't those particulate barriers now instead of a vapor barrier? Oh yeah, particulate barrier, okay. thank you. I just wanted to make sure we're clear on yeah. that and got that right because I, I don't yes. want that call from yes. Grant Tinker. <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank hey, you. Chris, have they changed the, I know we're talking about the hoods, but in our bunker gear itself, in, the, in our coats and jackets, have they changed the material at all to um, kind of minimize that risk? Well, they definitely changed the way they're built as far as they're trying to get rid of those spaces that allow them to travel up there. You'd have to ask, but not, our, the, not the material. Uh, not as far as I know. You'd have to ask our expert Grant Tinker and the PPE yeah. program as far as. Obviously, I know they're always updating and trying to make things safer and more comfortable. Uh, and so I'm not really sure if they've changed the material that we're using or not. Um. Uh, <clears throat> I'm Sorry. sure they are. Yeah, I'm sure they're updated. They're a lot, yeah, the they're time. a lot you know, safer and, now than they were. Yeah, it's they're definitely safer. Im, Im, improving throughout yeah, the years. Yeah. I, yeah. And I the think technology. it was. Yeah, I think it was years ago. I think there was something in the Nomex that they, when it was heated up, and I might be off on this one, so I'm not sure. But and I'm sure that changed either the material or how they how they made the material. Nationally, they've tried it. We used to put a bunch of fire retardant and things. That's uh, what it was. Right? And they stopped doing that because the fire retardant that they were using did have PAHs in them. And it was increasing cancer Absorption. exposure. Yeah. Um, uh, so, like, even, like, little kids that are getting pajamas and stuff nowadays, they're not made the same way because they're, they're trying to reduce the fire retardant that they're putting in those clothing. Um, uh, firefighters risks are significantly higher for some specific types of cancer than the general population. In 2013, NIOS researchers reported a two-fold excess of malignant mesothelioma, a very rare cancer. Firefighters have a 100% increased risk or double the times of getting mesothelioma than, uh, than the general public. And uh, 129% increased risk of dying from it. So uh, 
what that says to me. I know I'm sorry about my, there's a lot of big words when we start talking about cancers as far as. You're doing fine, uh, following right along. Yeah, uh, of how to get the the proper, I don't wanna, I wanna get the proper name out, especially when we start talking about uh, turtles cancer. what what's its name again oh it's a uh, non-hodgkin's lymphoma yeah you know so with lymphomas there's hundreds of subcategories and then you have grades and and you know if it's above your diaphragm below your diaphragm it's obviously any lymphoma or leukemia is a blood or or uh, uh, your immune system uh, is attacked you know by the cancer or the malignant cells and, and so that's the lymphomas even within the non-hodgkins lymphomas isn't there different yeah, like syndromes or <laughs> there's hodgkins and non-hodgkins yeah. and that all has to do with like a type of protein that forms or you know i'm not too up to speed on on you know all of it medically mm-hmm. scientifically but my form was like a you know the you have three grades of all lymphomas which could be indolent all the way to aggressive you know and and the mild and so indolent being really slow forming tumors to aggressive being you know overnight this thing could just swell your leg up or armpit or wherever the lymph node is or whatever cell it is sure so yeah so mine's a b cell inside the uh, exact lymph node is the malignant cell and so my lymph nodes swell up. Okay. So, um, uh, one thing as we're talking about, we want people to take more self responsibility of getting checked out, right? We want to do self assessment, right? That's getting first and foremost early diagnosis yeah. on any cancer is definitely better. So get handsy and start feeling around for stuff. <laughs> so uh, what that says, and it's funny because we're gonna. The, walk into the types of cancer and the first one that uh, we really want to check out for is testicular cancer, right? You can go do cancer screenings through your insurance, through multiple other avenues where you should get checked out. And the reason why I'm going to talk about some of these is just as you go in, you want to ask about these types of cancer, right? How do I get tested for these types of cancer? How do I see if I have any pre-existing medical conditions that might relate to them, right? So testicular cancer, mesothelioma, multiple myeloma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, skin cancer, and brain cancer uh, are all between one and a half and two times more likely to get as firefighters. So you just wanna keep those things on on your forefront, right? We wanna learn about those things and see what we can do to get tested for those things. Also, prostate and colon cancer uh, are parts of it as well. So that's why getting your annual checkups and going and take some ownership ownership of it and you know the obviously the department and we don't have cancer screens every year right that doesn't mean you shouldn't get one right we can all go get a cancer screen every year just like we can all go get a stress test or whatever we want to do right when once you get to be a certain age you need to start taking care of those things and it doesn't even matter if you're a firefighter you should start to try to find those things early so you can get things taken care of. That's why my wife was so successful with her cancer is it was found early, right? Uh, and she'll 
have that stigma of having cancer for the rest of her life when it comes to insurance, health, all those things are gonna be things that you're stuck with. But at least if you find it early, you can treat it early. And uh, it's just really important that we start to take that self-responsibility. It's also important to understand that having cancer isn't necessarily a death sentence anymore. Correct. You know, and so we've got one survivor here. We've got Dave Itwar, who used to work for our department, works for DFPC now. Just because you're diagnosed with cancer doesn't mean you're going to die. And But if you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and all of a sudden you're at end stages because you didn't want to go in and get checked, and um, then it probably is a death sentence. But it is what you make it, right? So if you get your annual checkups, you get your cancer screenings, and you do the things that you can do that are available to you to help find this early, you're more likely to live a longer, more productive productive life because you caught it early and they can treat it early. Am I right about saying Correct. that? Okay. That's super, I think, very important to say. Um, uh, just for a long term, right, we talked about how 75% of our deaths in 2019 were cancer related for the IFF um, for a long term from 2002 to 2017 they did uh, a study as well and over that 15 year period cancer caused 61% of career firefighter line of duty deaths in and just for a correlation in the same period heart disease only counted for 18% so uh, it just makes you realize how important it is Hey Chris, I have so I hate to say it. I haven't had a cancer screening done. So what does that consist of? Do they do blood work or they do? They do like, blood work, and they also it's uh, they do blood work. They also do uh, a colonoscopy. There's a bunch of different things they can do. Um, there's a one test where you just send a blood blood in. Uh, you can do a, a one test at home. They'll send you a kit. Uh, you do your own draw and send it back and. Uh, it, it tests, I think it tests for seven types of cancer or, or screens for seven types of cancer. Um, so there's a bunch of different things you can do. Um, once we get over the age of 40, just having that physical every year is super important, you know, where they can start to look for things and talk about your history and document trends, right? Either healthy lifestyle trends or things that could help prevent it, you know. Uh, I'm, it's funny, uh, I was the state director for the Firefighter Cancer Support ne- Network for a number of years. And the whole time I'm doing it, I was still chewing, right? Uh, and it's a pretty hard, hard pill to swallow. Here I am trying to pre- preach that we need to have, a, have these healthy lifestyles, but I wasn't doing it myself, right? And you took a lot of self-reflection to not do that anymore, right? Because old habits die hard you know we all know that we shouldn't have that extra piece of pizza or shouldn't have that chew or whatever and sometimes we just do it anyways and uh you still just got to take responsibility for your own actions you know and you know we try you know we fight to get occupational cancer covered by the fire service right we do all these things to try to to help our employees and we still have to help ourselves Sure, and it's um, a couple things. One, also helping yourself is making sure you're following the procedures after you have an incident to take showers, to change out your gear. Even if it's a minor fire, even if it's just a small dumpster fire, if you can smell smoke on your gear, there's stuff in it that can, that can cause you 
cause problems in the future and cause cancer. So part of taking responsibility is giving and using the tools that are provided to you by the department to help prevent these things because yeah. the, the department and the city don't want you to have cancer. Correct. You know, and two is a question for you. How much of this is genetic and how much of this stuff is just simply lifestyle? Oh man, it's hard. It's hard to tell, you know, when they, when you start to read all the studies and stuff, they talk about both of them, right? Healthy lifestyle decisions, you know, genetic, we can't change, right? So they don't really focus on that very much. They focus on all the stuff that we do have control over, healthy lifestyles, taking care of yourself after a fire, you know, doing, changing all the things that you can change. If, mm-hmm. if our genetics are what they are, uh, I haven't done a whole lot of research on that end of it, right? Because you're kind of stuck. But, but you can, if you, but if you do have a genetic history of it, you might, you might be aware of it earlier in your life instead of waiting till 40 yes start at 25 yep. or, or whatever as soon as it's available to you yeah and so be aware of what your genetics are and what your family history is and, and use that to your advantage to to uh, find these things earlier um uh yeah some steps firefighters we can do to reduce the risk and our department is it's been awesome to watch the change over the last 20 years of how we take care of each other after a fire right we used to just wash off our packs maybe and go back to the station, right? And now the, the department has totally adopted the culture of trying to take care of each other, you know, from trying to reduce our risks on scene to washing our gear on scene, trying to get all those big chemicals and all those that debris off of you on scene. And there's no questions asked that anymore. Once, once your fire's over, you go back to the station, you take a shower, you clean yourself, bag your gear, and it's 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 a process. If you get a fire at eight's district, it's potentially two or three hours before you're back in service, and the department is totally supportive of this process, right? They want to help. I, I really feel that they do. Yeah, that was a cultural change for us. I mean, it was odd when we started doing that to go out of service, you know, hearing calls drop in your district or other things happening, knowing that we're now out of service so we can do this but you know i think the support that we got from the top on down really helped with that but that wasn't that was kind of a difficult shift i think and it's tough you know it's still we still really rely on those company officers to make sure that stuff's getting done you know uh it's pretty easy to come back from a fire at four o'clock in the morning and not take a shower or you know not switch out your t-shirt and you know do some of that stuff that we just have to be really good about doing you know even if it wasn't anything big and uh i feel that due to our culture that that's been changing really 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 well and we do have a good um decontamination tack up or policy and procedure we've had the other fire departments request our version of how we decon after after incidents and simply drop it into their policies and procedures and say this is the way we're going to do it now. Yeah. so we should be proud of that um uh some steps other steps that we can do obviously uh we're going to take care, care of each other after our fire but then we're going to make sure like when we're just in between shifts right not not fire time right clean and care and store your gear properly right we don't want to have that gear riding around in the back seat of our car with us or you know, we, we want to reduce those risks. We don't want to leave our gear or our car over a four-day 
and let it off gas in the back seat and then bring it back to work the next shift, right? Our department's also become, been very supportive of giving you extra time to be able to go get your gear and rather than letting it sit in your car all, all four day or even for the day in between your shifts, you know? So uh, I feel like we just have to continue to take advantage of those opportunities and keep reducing those risks. Um, always wear appropriate gear and breathing protection whenever, whenever possible. And even in investigations, right? We're not sure what's going on yet. We don't know if it's steam. We don't know if it's smoke. Put your gear on, you know? Let's, let's take the extra step and, and reduce the risk um, you should also talk to your doctor, you know, uh, about just let them know you're in the fire service. That way it's on their, in the back of their brain too, you know, as we're working through things and you're, you're, you develop this relationship with your doctor and you're starting to see these trends, you can, uh, they can tr help you out. You're not in it alone. Um, you also want to reduce your exposure to diesel exhaust from fire apparatus, right? And that's a super tough thing. You know, if we look at uh, several people that have gotten cancer on our job have been driver engineers, which is kind of interesting, you know, is it because they're hanging out next to the diesel exhaust more than others? You know, it's hard. We don't know, right? But uh, there's definitely, on our department, I can think of more drivers that have had issues in the last several years than anybody else. So uh, try to reduce that diesel exhaust risk even while you're on scene you know if you're sitting there pumping at a fire for two or three hours that's a pretty extreme exposure to diesel exhaust you know try to get away from it you know um uh, and then healthy lifestyle healthy healthy lifestyles are super important right we're learning that more and more about everything you know uh the days of greasy Grease. breakfast and you know <laughs> greasy grapes gre grease pie yeah are 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 there few and far between now people stations the culture's changing we're not eating like that near as much as we used to you know uh and that's a good thing i think that over the next 25 years we're going to really see that affect our our numbers hopefully going forward you know maybe cancer will be down to 50 percent instead of 75 uh and another big thing is just track your exposures right even that big stuff like if you're sitting on a fire and you you know you were exposed to diesel exhaust for a long time. It's like you were like just in a position where, hey man, that was not normal. Make a note, write it down, fill out an origami. Doesn't matter, right? Get that stuff documented. You know, um, uh, you, we've made it so easy to document exposures and illness right now with our new origami program. That the, the, the firefighters or the individual can go through there, there and start to document some of that stuff. And I think it's just as it might not be important to you today, but 15 years from now, it might be. A lot of this stuff, it takes 15 years to develop, right? You get exposed today, and you don't get symptoms for 15 years. So uh, you just got to take care of yourself. Chris, I put a lot of that emphasis on the company officer, though. I mean, you know, we talk about safety. And, I mean, you just mentioned origami, and people can document their own things. But as a company officer... I mean, that's our responsibility yeah. is keeping our crews safe, especially for these long-term things. So I always try to emphasize that. Like origami to me or whatever we were using at the time, that was a no-brainer. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I want to take the time. Like I want that responsibility to help document this thing. Yeah. And if if we're getting a lot of them, depending on what's going on with the world, you know, even just a simple something, an email, say, hey, 
you know, just have some sort of documentation, you know, that, that says we had an increased risk on this day and this is why. Um, Turtle knows a lot about how important documentation is. Yeah, when it comes to any kind of cancer diagnosis, you're going to have to, um, the way the system's kind of set up is you have a federal mandate for all the states to have a cancer policy and a heart-lung policy. And so by federal law, <clears throat> each state has to come up with their own. That's why every state has a different one. Uh, Colorado's is a fairly decent cancer policy, covers most of the body, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes down to it, um, you know, because it just lists, I think, five categories, but in general. Now, is that the presumptive cancer? That, that is that a presumptive, okay. yeah. And all presumptive means is it just puts the burden of proof back onto the employer, not the employee. So uh, it's not a for sure, hey, I got cancer, they have to cover it. <laughs> it can always still be investigated. It could still be dismissed. You know, it just puts a burden of proof onto the city to prove that you didn't get it on the job. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I thought the all all of those that were presumptive. I thought it was a sure thing. No. Yeah. Now, I I have kind of reviewed, and just recently they came up with a new policy now, which. Um, from my understanding of reading it it'll limit the burden or it limits the liability to the employer up to five years after retirement but it does um, give you a cancer determination immediately but as far as I know I don't believe the city of Colorado Springs is in on that uh, new policy yeah. yeah it's uh what is that policy called Chris um, uh, uh, it's Senate bill 17-214 voluntary firefighter cancer benefits program and to be a part of that program the employer has to basically pay an amount per employee annually to be a part of that program um, and Colorado Springs fire department is not a part of that right now so what that does if you're not a part of that we go back to the presumptive correct legislation okay the state presumptive legislation so there's three steps that you have to do to qualify for that presumptive and that's basically you have to have a medical stating that you didn't have cancer or there wasn't a preponderance of cancer <laughs> mm -hmm. upon uh, being hired and that was all our pre-medical physical right so everyone should have a copy of that. You were given a copy of it. You know, it should be in your medical file. And uh, that's so we should each have like a copy of that somewhere at home? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Oh yeah. Because it, it doesn't stop after the, uh, the, you know, you leave this job. So when you got diagnosed, did you have a copy of that at home? I did actually. I didn't know where it was, and but I ended up having it. And, and that's a hard <laughs> thing for our members to realize is I know I don't have a copy of mine, right? I, I don't have, I never kept any of that stuff. And by helping out some individuals that have gone through the process, you realize that, man, I, I, I wouldn't have that, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd have to go try to find it in my personnel file. Is it, did, what, did you happen to look in your file? Yeah, it was in there. It was in there? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to do like a sample group and just go and see if we could find that in our personnel file because I know I don't have mine at home 
I don't uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. Yeah, turtles. And turn into a beer coaster at some point or something. <laughs> yeah. Basically, Josh, ours was basically the, the yellow sheet of a three, you know, transparent, yeah, yeah, triplicate type yeah. form. And it just basically listed, hey, here's your blood pressure, here's your, you know, EKG was good. And it basically, you just got a copy, one of those copies. Yep. And, I, and that that's what it was. So yep, I probably like folded mine up and put it in my car somewhere. <laughs> and I, I remember doing it because the doctor called me fat. Oh, there you go. While I was in my physical. How much did you weigh at the time? heavy guy. Mm-hmm. I, less than I do now. Thank God. Really? Yeah. It must have, was that a, it must have been a was it like a body fat test or he just looked at you? He just went, looked at me and he goes like he kind of hit my stomach and he goes, "What you got going on here?" And I'm like, "Thanks, doc." You know, Thanks. I'm getting ready for the fire department. <laughs> yeah, just passed the CPAT too. Yeah. So then the second hurdles, obviously, you have to meet one of the criterias that the presumptive lock covers. You know, bloodborne is what bloodborne cancer or any kind of uh, blood cancers. Is what my lymphoma was covered under. I don't. I don't want to get you off too far off topic, but the family history part. Do you have family history? No, no, nothing at all. No, you know. I mean, when it comes to genetics and family histories, it, it's a very low percent. I mean, it's it's hard to tell anybody what you know how they got a cancer, right? Because basically, cancer is just the abnormality of a cell. Yeah. You well, know. You know, it's interesting. I even think with. Um, genetics and family history a lot of our family history also has to do because we grew up living a certain way mm-hmm. and so the lifestyle kind of you know to me those mirror each other a little yeah. bit it's like well this is how I grew up this is what I grew up eating this is how I grew up living and now I continue to do the same thing so there's almost a little bit of a blurred line there as well yeah, yeah it's like a, it's diabetes is that a family history or is that a lifestyle yeah you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, because sure. just because your grandfather passed away with complications of a diabetic, you know, person, you know, yeah. did you pick up his bad eating habits? Just, you sure. know, just the drinking the Dr. Peppers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> little, little too much booze. All day long. Mountain Dew and Marlboros. <laughs> too much Jack Quinns. <laughs> but uh, as far as the types of cancer that are covered, um, he was referring to it a little bit already Aaron was on cancer of the brain, skin, digestive system, hematological system, and, oh man, I'm gonna butcher one more. This one's a good one. Geno, somebody help me. You're the medic. I should say testicular cancer. Let me try. (laughs) We have three (laughs) drivers in here and one medic. Put a Uh, finger on it. Right there. Genotogenarial. (laughs) Cancer. (laughs) That's a tough one. So those are the five. Reproductive. Reproductive cancer. Yeah. I like that. Genitinary. <laughs> Genitinary. Yeah. I like it. You sound like me right now. It yeah. sounds awesome. Makes did, me feel good. I think that's what I, I said the exact same thing. You did. It was uncanny. Was it? You guys are like twins. Like perfect. <laughs> we, we check out the brain. We have one brain for the whole training division, and we check it out and we split it, split time with it. I think Jason took it up to Denver today. Probably. <laughs> so uh, they, the reason why they made those cancers so broad is so they can cover a lot of things, right? So brain, blood, skin. Uh, they're tr- just trying to cover a lot of organ systems, a lot of things, right? So that, that way when you get most diagnoses, hopefully they'll fall into one of those categories, just like Aaron's did, mm-hmm. which fell under 
the hematological. All right, perfect, perfect. Yeah, because every blood vessel has a has a uh, uh, a uh, what am I trying to say? The uh, endocrine has an endocrine vessel also. Yeah. Um, Not a medic driver. Yeah. <laughs> don't, know um, uh, don't know what you're talking about. Hey, yeah, you know we changed the rule of thumb. <laughs> <laughs> Not thumb up, thumb down. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, one thing to talk about, I think, is what CSFD is currently doing to reduce the risk. Right? We were talking about a little bit ago. Is that is what we're doing enough? Right? So uh, right now, there's a couple of things. There's a memo sent out by, or an email sent out by. Captain Tinker, as well as TAC, TAC Ops Manual 500.09 Section C, and it talks about decon, right? Gross decon at scenes and stuff. Uh, our department is always willing to change. If we start to learn new things and, and have new ideas of how to reduce the risk, we're going to continue to do so. But during the safety stand, stand down week, I think it's pretty important to re review those policies, review, review that email from Tinker and uh, also review that TAC Ops, just trying to, you know, remind you of all the things that we should be doing. Because if we do all the things that are requested in here, we're definitely gonna reduce the risk. Um, How are we doing compared to the industry? Are we doing well as a fire department? I mean, I know we can always do more, and there's yeah. always more that we can do and, and things like that, but how are we doing if we look at an industry the fire service as an industry? I think we're keeping up with most departments. You know, I think that there's some departments that are excelling more than us, uh, but there's a lot of financial cost to that, right? You know, they talk about two sets of gear per firefighter. They talk about uh, ways to make your cab clean, um, which has some other uh, risk benefit things that I, I'm not gonna. It's, that's above my pay, sure. pay grade to to talk about. But uh, and then they have clean stations right now, right? They have stations designed about reducing risk to firefighter cancer. A whole station uh, from hot, warm, hot, warm, cold zone to where the point where in the cold zone where you're living, there's no cross contamination. You know. You know, right now we have our bunker gear in the same same area in our base, right? That's uh, one thing that a lot of departments have moved away from. They don't want to have your bunker gear hanging out in the bays with your apparatus, trying to reduce the diesel exhaust exposure to your bunkers, right? Or else, you know, it goes both ways. If you had, obviously in theory, our bunkers are clean anyways, but if they're happy to be off-gassing into the bay where, you know, our office is, is that fire engine some days, right? So, uh, you know, we just to reduce the, the risk either way, you know? Um, and that's, again, most of these things, things that don't cost money, CSFD has already taken, as I feel, done everything that they can. And even things that, they, that do cost money, they, they have done to the best of their ability. I feel like we continue to move forward with with PPE and reducing our risk at the stations to diesel exhaust and changing, making healthy lifestyle decisions. Like maybe we shouldn't be hanging out in the bay next to that table all day long. It's been sitting next to the flipping exhaust pipe of the engine for the last 10 years, you know, and or at least clean it, 
right? So mm -hmm. I think uh, our culture is changing. We're, we're, we're starting to do that, right? And I think that it, it gets better every day. Um, uh, what, and what the CSFD has also done is, is they've written two memorandums that we'll let Chief White talk about here as well uh, to, to let people know of known exposures to our members. Um, for a long time, we we're using a glycol-based training smoke, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, what that did is it did have some PAHs in it, uh, which are known carcinogens. And soon as nobody knew, right? The department didn't know, nobody knew, right? And then there's, there's this study that came out or this article that came out that said, hey, if you're using this training smoke, you're potentially exposing your members to cancer. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chief White was a big part of that. Yeah, so we got the article and the study uh, and found that the, the glycogen-based uh, smoke oils, um, essentially when you heated them and turned them into the smoke, um, formaldehyde was produced and you're breathing in the, the formaldehyde. Um, so what we did is we immediately stopped using that product and went to the water-based um, smoke that's not as dangerous but still has risk to it so we still don't want people breathing it so that's why we keep even in a smoke atmosphere that's our artificial <coughs> smoke the um, stage smoke so to speak we still consider that an IDLH and we still have people even our cadre members and, and, and during apes and um, everybody that's evaluating during apes we're all on respiratory protection um, what we did find is that that stage smoke does not saturate the turnouts and that's why we say hey once you get exposed to it or you're in it you don't have to go get new gear because it, none of that residue resides in the turnout so we don't yeah so we don't have to you don't carry that back to the station with you so it's a pretty important I think it's a pretty important memo from that Chief Dubay sent out and he sent it out in March of 2020 and it basically says that our members that, who were exposed to this training smoke if you were part of the academies between 2002 in 2019, if you were out going out and training and you were using the smoke, it's a pretty large group of people or, or members of our department that were potentially exposed to that. And to uh, have that memo out there really helps. Just like, again, it's building that documentation. We don't know if that memo is going to help you with your cancer case or if you're occupational cancer case, but you it's documentation. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt you. You know, you want to document, you want to have that. You want to have your pre-employment pre physical. You know, you want to have physicals. That You, you want to have These. physicals, annual physicals. If you go meet with your doctor and get that cancer assessment or whatever, you know, keep your documentation in line. The other thing is uh, we sent out, uh, an ex the department sent out an exposure notification to personnel that were exposed to asbestos during uh, acquired structure training in 2020, right? So those members that were exposed, those department members that were exposed to that got some follow-up, right? They, mm -hmm. They've got some steps to do. It's super important to follow those steps and keep your documentation. Sure, and again, it's, it's key that you participate in that. Uh, both the fire department and the, and the city recognize 
the issues with being exposed to asbestos, especially in acquired structures. Uh, we've taken steps not only to fix the system um, that was at fault when we did that acquired structure training, um, so we went through and fixed that, but we've also given those exposed or potentially exposed during that training the opportunity to be uh, monitored throughout their career. So it was a big deal. I mean, there's a, a lot of steps to go through, but ultimately the department thought it was right and the city thought it was right, and that's why they're moving forward with the steps that they did. And uh, with asbestos is just an example of one of those things that can take like seven to ten years to show any any it's got a really long incubation period before it metastasizes into something more right mm -hmm. so and that's the way most cancers are right it had it remains this dormant thing for such a long period think about how many fires we've been on over the last 20 years where we've been exposed uh, obviously with acquired structures hey you know what you have this all ability to, to, to look at things ahead of time but when we go on structure fires and we're doing overhaul and we're doing all these things man you got to take care of yourself because you won't know you made a mistake until 15 years from now right um, uh, so it's just so important to wear your PPE and decon properly but uh, what what do you do once you've been diagnosed right that's kind of what we were talking about you know uh, even I was talking to one of the one of the deputies the other day, and I was like, "Hey, what would you do if you got told you had cancer tomorrow? What would you do?" And uh, you're like, "Man, that's a that's a good question. Maybe we should talk about it, you know." And uh, because we most of us don't know what we would do, right? We're like, just like if I broke my leg tomorrow, I, skiing or something, you know. Uh, you don't really feel good about the process, right? You're kind of isolated. You're kind of have a lot of stuff going on in your head, trying to figure out what your next steps are. But what do you do next? And uh, I thought we'd just talk about that for just a couple of minutes. You know, um, first of all, is you got to let somebody know, let your supervisor know, because we all have these resources that can help us out, right? You got to let your supervisor know so they can help you through the next step, right? If you think you have an occupational-related illness or you or injury, you gotta let your supervisor know, right? And then you have to start doing some steps, right? We have to take. Nobody knows, right? If if I go get diagnosed with cancer over four day, my boss doesn't know that, right? Until I talk to somebody, it's just we have this really tough, tough time telling people like, hey, man. I need some help working through this, you know, and a lot of, because we're problem solvers, right? We all want to solve problems and do our own thing and work our way through it. It's hard to make it happen. So the first thing you got to do is let your supervisor know. The second thing, you got to co contact CSFD Human Resources. And regardless, I'm telling you right now, at least for me, contact somebody from Local 5, you know, or somebody you Somebody, somebody you have a relationship. It doesn't have to be a local five member, but somebody that can help you bridge some gaps. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm the vice president of local and I do a lot of the cancer and memorial stuff, but I'll tell you what, it doesn't, if, if a brother or sister, regardless if they're a union member or not, if they want somebody to talk to and try to go through these steps with, call me anytime, right? Call 
your human resources captain, call Angela, make some phone calls, right? That's the only way we're gonna get through the next steps. Uh, fill out an origami, right? With that information from your doctor, say, document that stuff, right? Obviously, we're not gonna know if it was on duty or off duty on a cancer diagnosis until they investigate it, right? But start to fill out that paperwork and start to work through that process. It's okay if, if your client claim initially gets denied, that's what starts the investigation, right? If they just said, yep, accepted it, right? Then there's no investigation. They don't know where they got it, right? They're, they're accepting all this liability without going through the process, right? So it makes sense. So don't get too discouraged if you get a denial initially because that's where things start, right? Um, uh, then file a claim with workers' comp, right? These are the, these are step-by-step of what to do. You can also go on the local five website. It'll talk you, there's a link that'll show you the steps to take, right? For on-duty or off-duty injury or illness diagnosis, right? You can just click on it. There's check boxes, man. Just start checking them off. Some of them are easier than others, right? But we gotta start doing them. So that's a good resource. Just the local five website. JJ also JJ Halsey also sent out an email with the steps to follow if you get injured or diagnosed with an illness or whatever. So you got you have to start just going through that process. Contact Oc Health and acquire uh, your employee health file. Everybody has an employee health file. You wanna get that, right? I, I feel like after listening to Aaron talk for a, for a little bit, man, I want to go get that now. See what's in mind. Make a copy mm-hmm. of it, you know, just so I don't think that anybody's going to take anything out of there. But it's not, it'd be nice to know what you have in there, right? So you don't know what you don't have, right? What if that your pre-employment phase physical isn't in your in your file, right? And you're talking about the city the employee city, file, no, right? Employee here. Is no. it the one here yeah. at the HR? Okay. And they actually have, you can ask for it, they have a personnel health file. Uh, and that is through your uh, HR captain, you can get that. Um, personnel health file is through your HR captain, and then Auk Health has an uh, employee health file. You want a copy of both of those. And then uh, we have another resource that we haven't really talked about, uh, peer support, right? Peer support's a big part of our department, our culture, right? They can help us through, you know, you don't necessarily think of them when you get like a cancer diagnosis or an illness, but they're there for you, right? Regardless if it's a bad call or if it's something else, it's somebody to help discover new avenues of how to get better, right? So uh, those are like the first, uh, <clears throat> first eight steps. And the last one is start to acquire a history possible exposures you know here you are you get diagnosed you don't want to sit there and go through your calls that you where you might have been exposed right start documenting that stuff now when you ever have these exposures put them in an email i'm gonna cough here (coughs) uh but you want to just start making a list right of of these exposures so that way you're not sitting there with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and trying to figure out which calls you were exposed to, you know? If you just would take that time ahead of time and, and document those as they come up, it would help you out. Sounds good, and, it, and a lot of that's participative, right? <clears throat> you keep bringing up, you know, you've got to participate in the system <coughs> for the system to work, so. 
We had a, not too long ago, we did a podcast on resiliency and we talked a little bit about mental health in there. And it's interesting what I'm hearing you say is, you know, these are almost the invisible injuries that, you know, that we talk about when we're talking about mental health as well. So just this conversation kind of helps tie those things together for me to where just because I'm not walking with a limp doesn't mean I'm not injured and I shouldn't be documenting and writing things up in origami and, and uh, making sure I'm keeping a record of all this. Yeah, I think that's just super important. I can tell you it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, w I wish I had more of a journal. I think when we started, Josh, we were still logging in uh, – log books yeah for for calls yeah, yeah it's for, funny we were just talking about that yeah. the other day about the the old, the old book logbooks, and yeah. uh yeah putting the putting times in there and what we ran on cruise times and what we yeah what we did what engine we we're on or truck we we're on yeah. how did you re recreate that history uh so uh when i got diagnosed 2010 um you know i tracked down my my uh pre-employment health you know because I basically kind of separated everything into buckets is how I looked at it. And you had work comp bucket, you have FPPA bucket, and, um, and then any other supplemental insurances. You know, with Cigna, mm -hmm. was offered, uh, I don't know if, if you guys have the Cigna policy or not, or if it's even offered anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's basically like an AFLAC. It's just a secondary insurance for injury or illness. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the one... <laughs> You have to look at Heron's case, and the reason why he, I feel like he was successful, obviously it sucks that he has cancer, right? But the part that he was successful on is he took a lot of ownership of it, and you should see how organized his binders were of, <laughs> of his process, right? They're like five inches thick, three ring binders with tabs of every section of what he's going through from every doctor's visit to every doctor's note, phone call, everything. He's got his ability yeah. to to process it was unreal because of, he just put a lot of time in it. So that way... Yeah, organized it. I yeah. think I put together some stuff for the, uh, for the local yeah. five to give people just to start for their organization because it's kind of like I I separated it and it was easier to kind of tackle mm -hmm. by doing work comp, doing my medical, you know, my actual diagnosis and medical stuff over here and then dealing with, you know, any kind of uh, uh, FPPA issue also. Um, I didn't have to deal with FPPA right away because I still worked while I was getting treatment. Um, and I was on, once you file, just by filing a work comp, you end up getting uh, hours that you can use for treatment. You know, and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, mine was denied per compensability, which means they're basically investigating it. Yeah. You still get those hours. So when I had to go and do chemos or chemotherapy, I, if, I, if I had to take a day off to get my chemotherapy, it, it went on my work comp hours. Once you run out of those, I think it was 240 hours. That sounds right. Something like that. Um, that's when the employment can be separated, basically, if you don't have any more hours. I ended up having a bad uh, lymph, uh, lymph node surgery, and I, was, uh, I had a drain that, that went positional on me, and so I had to be bed rested for about a month, and that just ate through my hours. 
-hmm. and then that's why I was retired. Okay. Um, uh, <clears throat> another resource is the fi Firefighter Cancer Support Network. Uh, it was like the one time in my life where I had to give something up. Um, uh, I was the state director for, for the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, and I just had too much stuff going on with the memorial and all the other projects that I'm involved with. I wasn't keeping up with it. But Your yachts? Um, and my yachts. <laughs> okay. uh, family, family yachts. Too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the Firefighter Cancer Support, Support Network, if you get diagnosed with cancer, if you reach out to them, they'll send you a toolkit. And what that toolkit is, it's basically, uh, it's a box with like three, three, three ring binders in it and it, of things that you should be doing you should be doing of how to get there's a registry for firefighters that have cancer how to get on that list um, uh, it, they can connect you to other firefighters that have had your particular type of cancer uh, within the state even right so if there's other firefighters that have had diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in the state they can make those connections with you so you can compare notes to try to figure out the best way to move forward, not even for the department, but for your life, for your family, right? So uh, there's just a lot of resources out there. You just gotta start asking for them. Um, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network has has uh, teamed up with the uh, International Association of Firefighters as well as the International Association of Fire Chiefs. So. Uh, Whenever you go to any of these conferences, you'll always see the Firefighter Cancer Support Network there, and it's just some more resources for us. <clears throat> the Congressional Firefighter Cancer Registry, um, it's, uh, there's identical bills both in the House and the Senate call for U.S. Centers of Disease Control and Prevention to develop and maintain a voluntary register to track firefighters with cancer and collect information on the number of types of fire incidents cancer cancer stricken firefighters worked so again that's that documentation piece that we're looking at so once this registry gets in place they are going to document which calls you can were potentially exposed on you know and and turtle i kind of question for you when we look back we can pull up our reports and go okay i've been on you know in the last 20 years i've been on this many structure fires did that, any of that play into it out of yeah, yeah. fizz and report rating yeah so we were using fizz you yeah. know we did log books and then i think we went right to fizz a year later i think after our probationary year i went through fizz and i just you could you could subcategorize i think it was like an excel spreadsheet yeah. type program you could spreadsheet it and you know i could call up every structure fire i was ever listed on I can call up any uh, chemical um, incidents, hazard. yeah, hazards, you know, with trains to, to tractor trailers to whatever, you know, and so I could just subcategorize out, you know, all these different exposures just through fizz. I'm not sure how origami um, works, uh, but. I know in fizz, old fizz, you can see, we had a firefighter from out of state reach out to me trying to figure out how many wildland firefighters he, fires he's been on in the last 10 years and I was able to go on to fizz and pull that data still all right you know because again you can pick those categories and it'll it'll pull up he had like pulled up 424 responses mm -hmm. of, the, of wildland fires that he was part of uh, so and I know it, that ability is still there yeah and it doesn't matter what exactly it was it just shows that hey throughout my career I had this many 
or I had this few. You know, so you're not trying to find the specific yeah, you're not, call? you know, and it, why? You know, yeah. I'm like, he'd, he'd pull your hair out trying to figure out exactly where I got, <laughs> you know, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma from. Yeah, sure. You know, which, who could ever say? So, one doctor explained it to me as I have the stupidest cancer you could get because it's in my lymphatic system, and that's the system that's supposed to take abnormal cells out of your body. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> you know, so he's like, yeah. So you know, congratulations on that. You got yeah, good for you. Cancer in the world. Um, mm -hmm. uh, one other thing our department's done while we were talking about it is remember we used to have our our uh, no smoke exhaust like boxes that were on our, our truck, yeah. yeah, and it was deemed that they weren't as effective as what we're doing now, right? So uh, we went away from them, right? So if you can document. All these things, all you're trying to do is just make your case, you know. So if you worked at stations or fire, I had worked on fire engines or fire trucks that use that rather than the Plymo vent system that we're currently using, that's other things to, to put, to write down. Just all you're trying to do, we're not trying to say the department caused it. We're just show, showing. You were in that environment. We were in that environment that was obviously worse than our current system. Right, so mm -hmm. when those stations that didn't have the climb events, the stations that were still using the the boxes that were just full of soot that they, you know that they would they would burn off and clean out, you know. Yeah, I think we're getting um, you know we're a lot more aware of it too. Just our most of our exhaust pipes are right where we keep our medical equipment, and I think most of our crews out there have been pretty good at recognizing that and doing kind of medical swap out away from that exhaust. Yeah and just getting, you know, physically getting away from it that way as well. That's right. Dude, and there's one other thing to realize too is there's so many awesome resources on the department that aren't sitting at this table. Uh, our human resources department is a great resource. JJ is a great resource. Mike Smaldino is a great resource just because of all the cancer stuff that he's been a part of. Work Comp's uh, a great resource. Work Comp. Uh, Chief Dubay obviously has been a part of a lot of these memos and of these things. He's he's put forth a lot of effort in trying to keep us safe. So I think, and obviously our PPE program, you know, uh, reach out to those people, you know, learn more. Uh, it's it's uh, it's the only way to reduce that risk is to continue to try to move forward. And I know that the PPE program and workers comp and our human resources department, they all want to see our our those numbers reduced, you know, so please reach out to them or us or anyone, you know, and we'll get you some answers if we don't know. I hope as an organization, I hope we're all getting better at recognizing the importance of the relationships that we have between the different divisions in the department or, you know, the department, the local or the fire foundation or, you know, whatever those different things are. The retirees. I, yeah, the retirees. The retire yeah, especially. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if yeah. it's just later on in the career you start to realize that or if we as an organization are starting to see that, you know, differently now. I hope it's, I hope it's that, yeah. you know, that we're all recognizing the importance of, you know, what each one of these, uh, each one of these puzzle pieces, you know, how they matches up with the other. All right. Thank you for your time. Thanks for coming in. This is a very important topic. Um, one, obviously, very near and dear to your heart. Aaron, sure. so thanks for coming in and talk about it and sharing your experience. So hopefully someone in the future can have a little easier time than you had. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Chris, for bringing this up. As always, come in anytime. If you have more stuff to talk about, we'll, we'll be here for you. Thanks, buddy. All right. Yeah, thank thank you. you.
right, we're back from our interview. I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, a great interview, I thought, uh, very enlightening. Um, I found it fascinating and almost sad that 75% uh, of line of duty deaths are caused by cancer, are cancer related um, in the United States and Canada. And, and I also found it interesting some of the things that we can do uh, to help prevent these cancers and some of the, the steps we're taking as a department um, to upgrade our PPE to make sure that we expose people as little as possible to the carcinogens we face uh, at structure fires. Yeah, it was, um, for me, it was actually a difficult conversation um, in the way that I didn't have a lot to say because I realized during the conversation that I don't know much about it. It kind of put me in this position of going, I'm not prepared or I wouldn't be prepared if you know something like that happened to me or my family. We've never really had a plan in place and I haven't thought about all these things. And I thought um, Chris did a really great job. He had some great information that he's, um, that he's brought in and you can tell that he's worked on this for a long time. And I didn't know that he had kind of that family incident that happened with mm -hmm. him. So kind of being able to hear his perspective, the more he talked, the more I kind of went, oh man, like I'm not prepared for this or I, I wouldn't know what to do. And it really put me in a position of wanting to kind of understand more and hear what he had to say. Yeah, and we can, you can extend that out to any um, significant injury, any significant illness that requires you to re retire from our job. Um, what plan do you have set up as a contingency uh, to help support yourself and your family uh, should that happen? Uh, for me, mine was through education. So I went out and got my degree in something other than fire science because uh, I think my, my skill set and my education was very narrow, narrow banded. Um, so just as a contingency plan, I got a degree in natural resource management so I could at least go be you know, a, a ranger, a forest service ranger in a gift shop somewhere, right? So I had something I could fall back on. And so those contingency plans are, are very important. I know uh, when Roger Beatty retired um, because of an injury, talking to him, hit, that was his biggest fear. It was like, I don't know what to do now. You know, I didn't plan well in case this would happen. And nobody wants to face the in case this happens, but um, it's better to be prepared in case that does happen. Um, you're not stuck and and have you know have all that stress and all that worry on top of what you're dealing with with the injury or the illness trying to figure out how it is you're going to support yourself and your family moving forward yeah absolutely I think it was oh I don't know maybe 10 12 years into this job where I really started realizing that I'm not invincible and that was kind of apparent by having a few surgeries on this job, you know, from, from different injuries. And it wasn't until after I had a couple surgeries that I really started thinking about that going, okay, what if the next one takes me off the job? You know, what am I going to do? What is my backup plan? Because I feel like this is all I know. But the one thing that I've realized over, you know, the, over the, probably the last five or six years is I think this job prepares us for so much more than we realize. Um, I was actually talking to somebody the other day and, and said, you know what, I, I, this is what I do. This is what I know. Um, this is my background. And the person I was talking to said, um, you know what, 
you've got a lot of skills that you don't even realize that you have, you know, that would translate into like the civilian world. But um, like you, I think it's important to kind of have a backup plan as well. And that's why I'm currently working through a, a degree, which is going to be a, you know, a seven year process for, a, you know, it's okay. <laughs> for the it's degree. Okay. But, but I think it's important for us to have that backup plan and talk yeah, about it. Took, it. It took me about seven years to get mine. Yeah. And that was just the last two years of of curriculum <laughs> one more year you could have been a doctor i could have, could have <laughs> doctor of nonsense um, an, another thing I, I thought that was important that chris said was when you get this diagnosis talk to people um, get a hold of the union work with our hr department um, so many times we hear of uh, folks that get injured and kind of cut off the the human resources division, you know, and are not really communicative with them. And really, the HR division is there as your advocate, you know, so please, you know, go see Oc Health. Yeah, that's required of you, but go see the, the human resources division also, because there's nothing more that than to help you that JJ and Angela, they, they, they're there to help you. That's what they're, why they do their jobs. That's what they want to do. And that's what they're there for. So please, if you have, uh, an injury or an illness diagnosis, please talk to HR um, until you think they're tired of talking to you and then keep talking to them because that's what they're there for is for you. Yep. We, um, you know, we talk about HR and we talk about OC Health, but one of the things that Turtle mentioned was he specifically brought up work comp itself, you know, making sure that we're communicating with the works, work comp side um, because the work comp is, you know, they've got a lot of information for us um, that can kind of help us through the process. The other thing that Turtle mentioned was I, I appreciated how he described collecting his information as in buckets, mm-hmm. you know, when he said that that was another one that kind of hit me where I'm like, man, I'm so unorganized. Um, I've got scatters of, you know, previous injuries and stuff like that all over the place. And the organization that he talked about for each injury and being able to put that information in a particular bucket and have it in a, in a spot was something that, that uh, hit me pretty hard too. Yeah. And I know speaking from my perspective, I, I would have to totally recreate all that stuff, mm-hmm. all that stuff that he had. I mean, I'd have to go back and, um, I mean, I don't, I don't have any of the carbon copies from the old injury forms. I don't have my physical from when I got on the job. I don't have any of that. So that I'd have to go start digging through records and, you know, hope, hope for the best, um, which isn't a good thing. So, um, you know, on one, on one part I'm planning in case something happens on the other part, I failed to plan at all, um, which is the the record keeping part of it. And I've never been good at that. And that's, that's no excuse. And no one's going to accept that as an excuse when it, when and if something happens to me. So um, I hope that it doesn't, but if, if it does, um, I'll be pre- prepared to roll up my sleeves and dig into the, to, to the files because I just don't have any of that stuff. Yep. And, you know, as the years go on every year, like you said, you know, cancer has touched every one of us in one way or the other, but it seems like the longer that we do this and the older that we get, it just seems to get closer and closer to home when you start you know, looking at who's being diagnosed with cancer and who's having these problems. And um, I don't think that's just, you know, being more aware, um, you know, maybe it's just because our organization's growing and we are just exposed to more people and we're around more people. But, um, you know, I just, I hate to hear, you know, Chris walk in and I had no idea that his wife went through that. And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden he's sitting here talking about how they went through it. And I had no idea. Yeah. 
Yeah, I did. I mean, I knew his wife was diagnosed with cancer and, and um, had known she had a successful outcome. But other than that, it's, it's, I, didn't, I didn't know much. So um, thank you to those two for coming in. It was a great interview. I hope uh, somebody got some sort of value out of this, and that's, that's why we do it. Um, you know, we did a, a public service announcement with Chief Dubay earlier talking about high blood pressure and things like that. Um, we're doing, we did this public service announcement on, on cancer awareness. So thank everybody for their time. I hope they enjoyed the interview. Again, if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, please bring it to, a, to us, anybody in the training division. Uh, again, we'll either develop it on our own or you can come in and, and, and be a part of it. Um, I know some people don't like to be on camera, don't like to be in front of a microphone, and that's okay. Uh, what you have to say, I'm sure, is valuable, and, and somebody will learn something from it, and that's our goal through all this is if we can, we can help one person, uh, if we can make a difference uh, for one person, then it, then it was worthwhile doing. So thank you for your time. We'll look forward to seeing you on our next kitchen table. Yep, see you next time. Think something new under the sun mm. You can't take back some things you already done, done No You blame things that you do on somebody else mm. No But they all see, but they all see is you need help Oh. Uh.